Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. That's not the end of the sermon. What does that even mean? Well, the Catechism tells us it means true and certain. It, the, the Hebrew word is connected with the idea of believing, of being faithful. In other words, full of faith, or trustworthy, or certain, or true, established. In fact, the Hebrew word, amen, because it is a Hebrew word, is behind the word that we looked at this morning in Galatians chapter 5, the word faithfulness. There's a strong connection between amen and that word that we looked at this morning in this morning's worship. So amen means yes, truly, truth, surely. You can count on it. You can depend on it. It's a fact. It's certain. We see the Lord Jesus use the word amen in the Gospels in this way. If you still have your Bible open in the Gospel of John, you flip back chapter 1 and you look at verse 51. And the translators have translated it with the words truly, truly. So you look at John 1, 51. The Lord Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. But in, in the Greek, it says, amen, amen. And the Lord often uses the word amen. It's a Hebrew word. He often uses the word amen to say that something is very true or certain or sure. And when he says it twice, it's even more sure. And so that's why we say amen at the end of our prayers, because of what it means. Amen means that we know it is true. There's no doubt about it. And so amen is not a word that you just kind of mumble. That's the danger when amen becomes part of the responsive liturgy, and you just kind of do it, because that's what you do, right? It's time to say amen, so everybody mumbles amen, like the church of the Middle Ages. Nobody's quite sure what's happening or what they're saying. They just go through the motions. But amen must not be muttered. If you're not going to say amen properly, don't say it at all. It is not a word to be said lightly. Amen is a word to be said with conviction, with certainty. Because amen says God is not a liar. God comes through. God keeps his word. God answers prayer. God will be true to himself. God will be true to his promises. God will take care of his people. God is faithful. That's what amen means. There's a whole world of theology, a whole world of biblical meaning tied up in that one little word. We don't pray to God like people in an airplane which is falling from the sky. Because when an airplane starts falling from the sky, then sometimes some people pray for help because they figure, well, it won't hurt. Just maybe someone's out there. And so they toss off a prayer as a sort of eternal life insurance policy and maybe it'll help. We don't pray that way. We pray to a God who we know and who knows us. We pray to a God who has established a relationship with us in Christ. We pray to a God who has set his royal seal upon us. And children, you know what that seal is, right? That you carry on your forehead, the seal of baptism. It says you belong to God. 
It says that God has sent his son to die for us so that everyone who believes should not perish but have everlasting life. We pray to this God who so loved the world that he sent his son. We pray to this God who calls us together every Sunday to speak to us words of life. We pray to the God who is our Father in Jesus Christ and who calls us to sit at table with the Lord Jesus and feeds us with the body and blood of his own Son. We pray to a God who speaks to us every day from the Word read, every week from the Word preached, who speaks to us of his undying and eternal love, a God whose promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen is a powerful word. It's a word which says that God is true and God's promises are sure. Well, what is the content of that truth, of those certain promises that we see amen to? You know, we often like to say amen to good things, to nice things. Lord, give us better health. Amen. More income. Amen. A new job, a better job. Amen. Whatever I, my heart desires. Amen. We like to say amen to good things. It's a little bit disconcerting to look back in the scripture and realize the context in which we first meet the word amen. If you turn to Numbers chapter 5, Numbers 5 verse 22 and in Numbers 5.22, there's been a problem. The husband doesn't trust his wife. The wife has been unfaithful, he thinks. So he brings her to the priest, and she has to drink the special water. And if she has been unfaithful, then all kinds of horrible things will happen to her. She'll be cursed. And there will be physical uh, manifestations of that curse in her body. So it's a context of broken trust and unfaithfulness. Now look at Numbers 5.22. The priest, before he gives her the water, he says... May this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And now the woman has to say, Amen, Amen. Well, that's the first time we have Amen in the scripture. She says it twice. Well, the next time we meet the word Amen, it's not much better. Deuteronomy chapter 27. And I think you know, many of you, Deuteronomy chapter 27 is the list of curses upon covenant unfaithfulness. So this is the context. There are two groups of people. There's the group of blessing on Mount Gerizim. Look at verse 12. Then there's the group of cursing on Mount Ebal. And then there is a whole list of curses. Look at verse 15. All the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Again, it's in the context of curse. Turn to Jeremiah 11 for a moment. Jeremiah 11. And that's going to be on page 639 in your Bible. And again, this is in a context of breaking faith, of unfaithfulness, of brokenness. Jeremiah 11, page 639, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord here, 
the words of this covenant speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. Hear means hear and obey. Verse 4, that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God. That I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. Now, can any of the children see where the word amen is in those verses? Could you guess? Because it wasn't translated or transliterated as amen. It's those last words, so be it, Lord. In the Hebrew, amen. So be it, Lord. Fact, truth, that's the way it is. That's for sure. There's no doubt about it. Now look at the context again. It's the context of judgment upon covenant disobedience and unfaithfulness, but also the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey for those who repent and believe. So it's the covenant with its promise and its obligation, the covenant in which all of us partake still today as we're baptized into covenant with God and as the demands of the covenant and the promises of the covenant are also placed upon us. So what does it mean? What do we learn from this initial contact with the word Amen in the Old Testament? Well, what we learn is this, that God keeps his promises. God does what he says. That's not just with the good things. That's also with the painful things. When God promises blessing, he blesses. But when God promises judgment, he is not fooling around. We often do that as parents. If you do that one more time, then this is going to happen. And then the child does it one more time, and we don't want to get out of our chair. So we say, well, if you do it again, then I'm going to punish you. God doesn't fool around. When God says he's going to punish, when God says he's going to curse, then he does. God is faithful. God promises to save and forgive those who cry out to him, and he does. And God promises to utterly destroy sin and impenitent sinners, and he does. And that's comfort for us. Because what do we do in our prayers? We ask God to destroy the works of the devil. We ask God to destroy the power of sin and temptation. We ask God to rip the evil out of our hearts and lives. We ask God for an end to injustice and cruelty and wickedness and abuse in the world. And God has promised to put an end to all of this. And God will keep his promise. And so the church, when the church doesn't just preach the gospel and call sinners to repentance, but when the church also, in a biblical and godly and loving way, implements Christian discipline, biblical discipline, then the church is saying amen to God's word. The church is saying sin is not tolerated. Sin is dealt with. And unrepentant sin is cut off. There is no room for it in the congregation of God's people. And so that's, that's how we first meet the word amen in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, it's also used to express the truth of praise and worship for who God is and what he has done. And the book of Psalms 
is divided into five books, and you can see that in some of your Bibles, divided into five sections. And at the end of every section, it ends with the words, Amen. And we sang, actually, one of the ending sections, the ending to, to book two of the Psalms. We sang that in the last stanza of Psalm 72. So if you just turn with me to Psalm 41, that's the end of the first book of Psalms. And maybe, that, maybe it shows that in your Bible. And what do you see there? Well, blessed, Psalm 42, 13, oh, correction, Psalm 41, 13, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And then flip forward to Psalm 72, which we, we sang, the last part of that Psalm. Psalm 72, that's on page 485, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. It's sure. There's no doubt about it. Then move to Psalm 89, 52. Psalm 89, verse 52, which is the end of the third book. And 89, 52, page 496. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then finally, Psalm 106, 48. 106, 48, that's on page 506. Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. And the end of the fifth book doesn't have the word amen. And so amen is not just used to confirm that God is serious when he says he's going to punish sin and curse it, but amen is also used by God's people to say, oh yes, this is who God is. He is glorious. He is worthy of all praise and all honor from every creature under the sun for all time and all eternity. Amen. That is true. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 25. If you turn to Isaiah 25, and we look at verse 1. Isaiah 25 verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and amen. That's the word there in the Hebrew. Amen. Faithful and sure. It's a great translation. That's what it means. Faithful and amen. Faithful and sure. That's who God is. That is what his work and his works are. They are faithful. That's what his plans are. And his sovereign and eternal will is faithful and amen. You can build your life on it. And then go, go forward through the same book to Isaiah 65, 16. Isaiah 65, 16, which is on page 624. And in Isaiah 65, verse 16, we read this. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. Pay attention, keep your mind on that. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Now, both of those times where it says God of truth, the word in the Hebrew is, you guessed it, amen. The God of amen. The God of amen. Well, who is this God of Amen? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The God of Amen. 
And in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, we read the following. This is page 1030. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is one of the names of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Amen. He is the God of Amen. He is the God of truth. He is the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what does Paul say to the Corinthians? All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And that is why through him we utter our Amen to God for his glory. Amen means truth. So you could say that Amen means Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. He is the God of Amen. And so this Lord Jesus, the one who is Amen, the one who is the truth, the very truth of God, he told us, and we read that in John chapter 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That, my father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The Lord Jesus told us, back in John chapter 14, even before Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he told us that through Christ, we utter our amen to God for his glory. And because of Jesus Christ, the amen, the truth, because of who he is, because of what he has done, because of his accomplished work, the amens in the New Testament ring out, not after the curse, but according to the glorious and fulfilled promises of God and Jesus Christ. And so the word amen becomes far deeper and richer and more delightful and more glorious in the New Testament. I'm going to run through a bunch of verses here very quickly Maybe you can keep up in your Bible. Revelation 22, verse 20. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Truth. I'm coming soon. That's not a curse. It's a beautiful promise of life with the Lord Jesus. Then you look at Revelation 7, verse 12. Revelation 7, 12. I'm going from the back to the front here. So you see all of the angels and the elders and the living creatures, they fall on their faces before the throne. They worship God and they say, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then we go to Jude chapter 1, verse 25. There is only one chapter, Jude verse 25. We'll start reading verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. And then we go to 2 Peter 3.18. Just going backwards in the Bible here. 2 Peter 3.18, the end of the second letter of Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You see something different, don't you? It's not like those beginning amens in the Bible that were related to curse and God's judgment, which is true and which is sure. 
But now everything is looking at Christ and all the glory and all the, the, the wonderful benefits that come to us in him and from him and through him. Let me go to 2 Timothy 4.18. Let me just flip back a little bit further. I have to go before Hebrews now to 2 Timothy 4.18. And that's going to be on page 997. And here the apostle says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is not something that's doubtful. This is truth. This is certain. I can stake my life on it. And the apostles did stake their lives on it. And Christians throughout the centuries have staked their lives on the amen on the Lord Jesus Christ and all the truth that is in him. We go back to 1 Timothy 6.14. We just flip a few pages back. 1 Timothy 6.14. And that's going to be on page 993. And so he... 1 Timothy 6.14. Yeah, we'll start reading there. So speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of that verse... And then it speaks about that in verse 15, he is the the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Verse 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then one more, 1 Timothy 1.17. We'll go back a few more pages, 1 Timothy 1.17. And now we're on page 991. And 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this verse is directed to, in the context you can see that, it's directed to our Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world to save sinners, says Paul, and to him, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what does the scripture say about God? The scripture says that God is creator, that he's blessed, that he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's the prince of peace, he has all glory, all wisdom, he is loving, he is gracious, forgiving, he's the father, he's the king of kings, he is immortal, he is, he is invisible, the only God, he is the God who rescues sinners, he is the God who equips the saints, he is the God who is good, who transforms sinners, who gives knowledge who has made us his children, has made us his people, has made us a kingdom of priests, and is coming again to make all things new. And all of the things that God reveals to us about himself are all true in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything holds together in Christ. He is the center of history. He is the one who by the word of his power holds together all things in the universe, the physical universe, at every moment being held together by the very word of the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one through whom we come to know the Father and to be received by him. And so whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we preach, Whatever we think, it means nothing. And it is absolutely useless unless it lifts up and exalts 
and glorifies the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unless it is through him and in him and from him and to him, it is nothing. And so we pray. We pray our Father in heaven because God is our Father through Christ. Hallowed be your name through the Lord Jesus Christ. Your kingdom come. Amen. That's truth because Jesus is the King of kings. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Because the Lord Jesus kept the commandments perfectly and his spirit lives in our hearts and leads us in the way of new obedience. Give us this day our daily bread because Jesus Christ is sovereign and he provides for his beloved church. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Amen. Because in the power of the blood of Christ there is forgiveness for me and for all repentant sinners. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Truth. Because Jesus is the one who has conquered sin and death and Satan. And the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. For yours is the kingdom. It is certain because of Jesus. And the power because of Jesus. And the glory because of Jesus. Amen means truth. It means surely, it means there is no doubt about it because Jesus Christ rules. Because Jesus Christ has done it. And so when we say amen, we don't mumble the word. We don't say amen by custom and superstition. But when we say amen, we say it with awesome reverence, because when, when saying this word, we lift up the name that is above every other name. We lift up the name before which every knee must bow and every tongue confess. When we say amen, we lift up the name of our Savior and we pray to God through him and in his name. We lift up the name of Jesus and we say it with all our heart. Amen.